From momming to ministry, there are a myriad of things that happen in the life of a homeschooling mom of five, women's ministry director, and pastor's wife. Join me for In the Mix as I talk about a variety of issues facing Christian women today. Well, hello and welcome to part one of this Psalm 145 podcast. As many of you know, my name is Megan Bowen and I am a pastor's wife and women's ministry director. I also have a heart for homeschooling moms and have a heartened homeschool mama's ministry. So this podcast, In the Mix, is kind of an extension of those various ministries or just whatever might come up in my life that I feel might be noteworthy. Um, I like to journal, I like to write, and podcasts seem like an easy extension. So this is kind of a new venture for me. But one of the things that I wanted to do in this podcast, In the Mix, is I wanted to include some of those things that I'm already putting in a good amount of work in preparing for my women's ministry breakfasts. So this year at Foundations Women's Ministry, we are going to be studying and looking into Psalm 145. So whether you are someone here in the Lafayette area that may or may not be able to come to any of those women's breakfasts, or maybe you're across the country in my home state of Nevada or elsewhere, if you are able to listen to this podcast and join me, I want to invite you this year to study Psalm 145. I want to challenge you to memorize it and to dig into it in a way that you may have never dug into the Word of God before. So today, in the amount of time that we have together, I want to hopefully inspire you to join me on this venture. I'm going to introduce you to this wonderful psalm. I'm going to set you up for a little bit of an overview of this as you go to dig into it. And I want to talk to you about a few just very practical skills if you want to join me in the challenge to memorize this psalm as well. So let's go ahead and get started by talking about who wrote Psalm 145. I do hope that as you listen to this psalm, if you're able, that you can have your Bibles out or you can just pause this and listen, read it before we jump right in. But let's go ahead and talk about who wrote this psalm. Well, you may guess King David wrote many of the psalms, so that may be a first guess, and that is right. King David wrote Psalm 145, but it's always important to think about, okay, even if you know who wrote it, what time of his life was he in? What, How might that affect what he's writing? And I think it's very interesting. Psalm 145 is one of the Psalms that's written at the very end of King David's life. In fact, it may be the last or one of the very last Psalms. It is the last Psalm by King David in the order in which the Psalms um, are organized within the book of Psalms. But it starts off almost identical to Psalm 34, which is one of the earliest Psalms that David wrote before he was even king. And I think it's important to not miss kind of a similarity with these two Psalms. So Psalm 145 starts off and it says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. 
And Psalm 34 starts off and it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I just think it's important to pause and think about that we in this Psalm 145 are going to hear from a man who endeavored back probably 45 years earlier to say and to commit that I will bless the Lord at all times. And we're looking at a man who has served the Lord long term. We're looking at a man who back when he wrote Psalm 34, before he was king, in a difficult season of his life, kind of a questionable character. If you want to go back and study that Psalm, he wrote that when he was fleeing from King Saul and when he had just done some questionable behavior in an effort to preserve himself and to protect himself. And he writes in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. And now here, fast forward, we're hearing from an older wiser, experienced David, who is now the mighty King David that we imagined, that we imagine. And I think it's important to say, okay, this man said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And now he has lived his life and he's still saying, I will bless your name forever and ever. And so we're listening as we study Psalm 145. We need to picture that King David and say, okay, this is a king. This is a man that I should listen to. This is someone that if if you have someone in your life that you think, oh gosh, I better listen to this person. They are commendable. They are mature. They are wise. And they have been serving the Lord through ups and downs, not perfectly, but they are a humble servant of the Lord that I better listen to. That's the King David who's speaking in Psalm 145. So let's imagine a wise, older, experienced King David at the end of his life who is writing to us with all wisdom that he has learned of his God. And he's going to point out really five main themes about God that as you know, when someone's nearing the end of their life, the end of their um, reign, they're going to think carefully about what they say and they're not going to waste words, but they're going to point out what they believe to be some of the most important things we need to know about our God. So that's our author in Psalm 145 is the mighty King David. Now, if you have not yet paused this podcast and or pulled out your Bible, I would encourage you to do so now. Just hit pause, take a moment to read through this psalm. It'll take you about two to three minutes and just let it soak um, in you. Look for the themes and come back here in a second.
All right, well, let's get started then, if you've listened to that, read it. And before I go into the main focus for today, for our first part one, I want to talk about an overview of this psalm that you may have already picked up on some of these themes, but there are five basic themes which various theologians may describe them differently. But I'm going to give them to you the way that Charles Spurgeon describes them. The five themes that you'll find in this psalm are God's greatness, And this is in order. You will see God's greatness first. You will see his goodness. You will see the clarity of his kingdom, his providence, and his mercy. Now, these five themes are not easily divided into sections. They they overlap very much. But his greatness is what we're going to focus mostly on today. And you'll see it in the first seven verses. And then it does move uh, a little systematically through his goodness, his kingdom, his rule as king, um, and his providence, his care for us, and his mercy, which we'll talk about those other four more in later podcasts. But today we're going to focus on God's greatness. And the first thing that I want to do is define greatness. We're not talking about it in terms of what we tend to use in the current English language when we say, oh, that's really great. You know, that that's good. We tend to think of great as just meaning really good or something um, beneficial. And that's not really the usage of it in this psalm. So great is greatness in magnitude, in intensity, in power. It is grand. So when I say God's greatness, it's different from his goodness that this psalm definitely moves into. But there's a clear point that King David wants to make about the Lord's greatness, that he is God. He's king. He's magnificent in power and ability, and he's sovereign. So that's what we're going to focus on today. If you look at the way that Psalm 145 starts, which by the way, I am going to be using the New King James Version for what I memorize and what I tend to teach off of in this, though we may look at other versions as well. But it starts off, verse 1, it starts off and it says, I will extol you, my God, O King. And just to stop right there, David uses my God, O King. First of all, that word for my God in this verse is Elohim. It's a version of God in the Hebrew that means you are the sovereign God. You are the one true God. He is emphasizing that he is God of all gods. He is the supreme God. And then he reiterates it again. He almost says twice, I will extol you, my God, O King. Now, sometimes we're in a hurry and we read through Psalms and we think, okay, I'll extol you, my God, my King. And, you know, I keep going. I want to get to the meat of the Psalm. But we should pause here again and remember who's speaking. We're talking, we're hearing from King David. And so a mighty king is referring to God as king, a man who understands kingship. He understands the authority that goes along with being king. 
that you don't question what the king says, that what he says you do. It's not a request, it's a command. And he, as king, as the authority in Israel, is saying, but you, O God, are king. So I think it's important to pick up on all these little phrases, and this is part of the beauty of meditating on a passage and memorizing a passage. Just some of these things that you can just skim over, you tend to pause and, and give extra thought to, that, okay, this is a king saying, oh, king, this isn't just a quick, flippant description. This is a recognition of the authority and the power of our God. That when we say, you are Lord, you are my king, it's not just a pretty phrase. It's a surrendering of my will. It's a recognition of who you are, God, in my life. I think it's really the foundation of this psalm and the foundation of all of Christianity is that we can call God our king. King in recognition that he is truly our sovereign, that he is great, that he is mighty. It moves in and it says, I will bless your name forever and ever. And that word bless, if you study it, actually means to kneel. It's not just a pretty word. It's a word that means I am going to bend my knee. It is again another picture of submission. So here we have, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless, I will surrender, I will kneel down. I will bless your name forever and ever. There's a quote from the uh, from C.S. Lewis in the wonderful books of Narnia, and he's talking about Aslan. And I love the way that if you've ever read that book, they talk about Aslan actually before the children in the book have met him. And every time it's this amazing lead up to who Aslan is, and they have no idea. They don't even know he's a lion yet. They have no clue if he's human, what he is. But every time they mention the name of Aslan, C.S. Lewis describes the feeling and he says, you know, oh, I just felt warm all over. And Oh, as soon as they said his name, it was just like the sun got brighter. And, you know, they just describe the atmosphere. And, oh, it's Aslan. And they're talking about their first meeting with Aslan. And a beaver is speaking to the children. And he says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And so we see this recognition of God as king and that we will kneel before our king. And he's not a God that we can just stand before without our knees knocking because he is great and he is mighty. He goes on and he says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. And in verse six, he says, men shall talk of your awesome acts. One theologian goes on to talk about that phrase right there. And it says, he describes it as your terrible acts, meaning again, great, awesome. We're specifically talking about 
awe-inspiring, great in magnitude, even to the point that they might be referring to fearful, terrifying acts that still display the Lord's greatness. For example, let's think about some of the things that King David experienced in his life. As a child, we know the story of David and Goliath, but what gave him as a child that that um, ability to walk into a battle that everyone else was afraid of, it was his absolute conviction that this is the one true God and you do not speak against him. That God is sovereign, that he is mighty, and he walked in that belief of God's greatness. Think about David's experience with the greatness of God, his righteousness, his holiness, when David committed sin with Bathsheba. And she was pregnant and he had her husband killed and David David and her experienced the loss of their firstborn child. And in absolute sorrow, he experiences the greatness, the might of a king who demanded obedience and holiness. And David experienced the discipline of the Lord. There's a story I was reading the other day that just... it. it Open my eyes. It's a hard story. If you look on when um, David David uh, took a census of the people of Israel for battle, and he was not supposed to do that, and he is presented with an option of the way that he might be disciplined. The Lord gives him three options on what consequence do you want? And he ends up choosing a plague that results in 70,000 men being killed, 70,000 people being killed. And if you think there are some difficult things in that story, things that almost don't even make sense. And David asks the Lord, Lord, why do the people of Israel have to um, be punished? Can't you just put the punishment on me? And the Lord doesn't really answer him and give him an answer. And there's deep and difficult things that David experiences in that that he doesn't understand. And he comes face to face with the greatness and the might of God. Think about when he was having the ark moved to Jerusalem. It really with a pure heart, with a desire to restore worship in Israel. And yet he wasn't moving the ark properly. And there's they stumble and Uzzah reaches out to touch, to stabilize the ark and he dies. And it, if you read that account, you, you see that David is angry. And he comes face to face with the greatness, the magnitude, the intensity in power of God. And it's distinct and different from God's goodness. In fact, sometimes, as I said, it it described David as angry. The greatness of God is sometimes even difficult to grapple with, to understand. But I think that we all have to come to a place in our Christianity where we know that God is mighty, he is great, he is powerful, and honestly, sometimes even when we can't feel his goodness, even when we don't understand, we can say, but you, my God, O King, I will kneel, I will bless your name forever and ever.
And that's how this psalm starts. This is this is the first seven verses in Psalm 145. I think it's the foundation of really our Christianity is can we come before Elohim, God Almighty, and say, you, my God, are king and I will kneel. I will trust you. So that's just the the tip of the iceberg. That's just the beginning of this psalm. But one thing I want to point out as we come near the end is verse 3. It says his greatness, his greatness is unsearchable. You know, I have five kids and they're always talking about their dreams. And one day my daughter came out and she says, mom, mom, I had the best dream ever. She said, I had this dream that there was this bowl of ice cream and we're eating this ice cream and it's so good. And as soon as you get to the bottom of the bowl of ice cream, boom, suddenly there appears more ice cream. And she says, you eat that ice cream and you eat it and boom, more ice cream pops up. And it's just this amazing, miraculous bowl of ice cream that never um, goes away. And I think that's a little bit of what that verse means when it says his greatness is unsearchable. The word of God, there's just so much in it. And as we begin to dig into who God is and who he has revealed himself to be through his word, it's unsearchable. It's never ending. And so as we just begin this psalm, and as I invite you into an experience with Psalm 145, I want to leave you with another um, idea, kind of like the bowl of ice cream, but here's another way to think of it. So in my life, I have always loved, really it started around the age of 20, um, I've always loved the book of Hebrews. So this is about 19 years ago that I just began to fall in love with the book of Hebrews and I began to study it and memorize large section of it, sections of it, and specifically Hebrews 11. I loved Hebrews 11 and I would read that passage and I memorized it back then. And so years go by and about four years ago, I decided to do a book study on Hebrews with some ladies at the church. So we studied Hebrews. And again, as you're, you know, teaching, you're of course digging in and studying deeper. And I dug even further in. And during that study, I encouraged them to memorize large sections of that book. And as an example, I recited to them Hebrews 11. So again, I refreshed my memory and I recited Hebrews 11 and I knew that chapter. And so about a year ago, I'm needing something easy to teach my kids. I homeschool and I wanted something quite honestly, that I didn't think I had to prepare for. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach my kids Hebrews 11. So here is a passage that I'm telling you, if you had asked me what chapter of the Bible I knew best, I would have said Hebrews 11. I had almost gotten to the bottom of that bowl of ice cream, right? I thought I had dissected it and studied it. And so I began to teach my kids. And as I was teaching them, we would have these days that just suddenly a word in a verse I had read hundreds of times probably would stick out to me in a way it never had. And I would consider something I had never considered before. And it was like the word of God came alive in a part that I thought I had, I had gotten to that bottom of the bowl. And so we'd go on and a couple months later, it was, it was a year long process that I did with my kids on Hebrews 11 and I I had them memorize it as well. So we would take sections of that and we would just repeat and repeat and repeat. 
And again, there'd be another word or I'd be in a different mood and it would just mean something different to me. And I remember one day in particular, we were months into this study and something, there were these three phrases that stuck out to me. And I'm telling you, it was like not just a bowl of ice cream. It was like suddenly I had this brownie hot fudge sundae that appeared before my eyes in these verses with these connections that I had just never noticed before in a passage that I'm telling you, I had searched and searched and studied and probably recited two and 300 times by that point. And so I want you to go into this Psalm 145 with that kind of a vision that says, I'm going to endeavor to memorize Psalm 145 this year, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to recite, and Megan's going to help walk me through some things here. I hope I just set you up a little bit for the study of Psalm 145. Today, really, my only goal was to just whet your appetite a little bit. But I am inviting you to join me on really an experience of Psalm 145, not just the memorization of it. I had Hebrews 11 memorized, not just the study of it. I had already done that. Remember, I was just teaching my kids. I wasn't even really studying any further. I was just teaching them out of what I knew. But because I just sat in it for so long at the level to help my six-year-old memorize it, things came alive because the greatness of God is unsearchable. And so as you study Psalm 145, with me, hopefully this year, I want you to endeavor to memorize it. Get some ways, just very practically, ways that you can help yourself. I always, when I'm trying to memorize a passage, I always find an audio version of it. So whether you use the U version, the Dwell app, maybe you just do a voice recording of yourself um, reading it. I'd actually do that often because I'm super picky about where the pauses and inflections go. So I like to read it the way that I want to memorize it. So find yourself an audio method. So you can listen to that driving down the car. Um, study it. Maybe you're going to pull up blueletterbible.org, a great study tool, and maybe you'll dig into it in a way that you haven't done. I'm going to try and listen to Psalm 145 daily, read it until I can recite that thing, and I'm just going to sit in it, and I'm going to get that magical repeating ice cream sundae, the way that the Lord will reveal himself when we will meditate on his word and when we will memorize it. So Practically, that's what it looks like. And I am just so excited with any of you on this podcast, if that's the only way that you're listening, or our ladies at Foundations Church. We um, just started that in the beginning of March. So for the rest of this year, we're going to be studying Psalm 145. And I look forward to having you join me in that as well.